Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. them up here doing that. It was cool in the first service too, the three kids up there. So it's exciting. It's exciting stuff, church. It's cool too that we just keep seeing more kids. There's one way to grow church, just keep having kids. So you know what y'all are doing tonight, right? <laughs> all right. So hey, I get the, my name's David. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I say inappropriate stuff all the time. If you have not figured that out in the first 30 seconds of me being up here, um, it's just what I do. And I get the pleasure of telling you the story of Jephthah. We've been walking through this series called Lest We Turn. We walked through Joshua, and now we're in Judges. And the cycle is this, that Israel continues just to turn to other gods. And they get oppressed by those nations whom those false gods belong to. And then they cry out to God. And then they do it again, and then they do it again. And we probably are now digging into maybe the darkest, most messed up time in this whole book. In this history of Israel, this has gotten about as deep as it's going to get for them. It is really messy. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Judges 10, verse 6, through Judges 12, 7. And that's a lot for me to cover. I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm going to read pieces of it to you as we go. Normally, we would read a part of it with our scripture reading, but with child dedication, we're just going to dive right in. But here's the overarching thing that I want you to see today. The big idea for the text is this, is you cannot have an authentic relationship with Jesus without accepting his rule and fully trusting in him. That's the problem we see with Israel, is they wanted things that Jesus offered, well, God offered, not Jesus yet at that time, but yet they did not want his rule. They did not want his authority over them as Lord of their life. They did not want God and what they really offered. So this story, we're going to see people who wanted rescued. They wanted safety. They want belonging, but they do not want it on God's terms. They want it on their terms. They want it to go how they want it to go to fit their narrative. And so as we dig in, this is what we're going to see in verse 6. This is what it says. It says, the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. That is seven gods. Seven gods they're serving. And you know who's not one of them? The one true God, because the next verse said that they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. They had nothing to do with the one true creator of the whole universe. They said, we're going to serve anything and everything but the Lord. Like, this is messed up. It's a vicious cycle that they have just dived into. And what we see is idolatry leads to slavery, and slavery leads to more idolatry. It just, it's a cycle. They can't help themselves because what happens is they're like, well, we need an idol. We need something to worship because they don't think God is good enough. And so they find this false God that another country is, another people group is worshiping, and they, they, we're going to worship this. And so that goes to slavery, where they're enslaved by that group of people then. 
So what do they do? They just add another God onto it. Well, that God didn't work out for us. We're oppressed by him. So let us go worship another God and see if that God will free us from this. They're worshiping seven gods. It makes no sense. Because you would think by now, if you've been walking with us, and if you haven't been walking with us and have no idea what I'm talking about, just imagine doing something over and over again, and it always ends poorly for you. At some point, you would think, you know what? I hate these other guys. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm done. I'm going to go back to where I belong, worshiping the God. But they don't. They just keep going deeper and deeper. You would think they would hate them. And they just find another one over and over and over again. The problem is we do the same thing. Jeff, in the call to confession, mentioned four main idols that really all idols of life stem from. Power, comfort, control, and acceptance. We all, I don't care who you are, how holy or righteous you are in this room, or how holy and righteous you think that you are. We all have idols that stem from that, power, comfort, control, and acceptance. And what we do and we see in, in everyone's lives is where we will want power, we'll want control, we'll want acceptance, we'll want comfort, and when it doesn't go our way, we just dig in deeper, right? You see someone who has a bad relationship, the relationship fails, so automatically what they do is I got to find a new relationship, and if I just try a little bit harder in that relationship, it's going to fix everything. It's not. Not if it's not centered on Jesus. You're just going to dig yourself a deeper hole, right? And then, well, I don't have, my money is not going well. well I'm just going to work more and make more money. And then you're just in this trap. You're enslaved to making money. You think, well, if my kids will behave a certain way and I can control every aspect, everything's going to look good and it's all going to work out for me. And you can't control your kids, but you just keep pressing in and trying and trying and trying to control your kids because you idolize your kids. But ultimately, really what you idolize, you idolize control and that's just the easiest thing to control in your life is your kids because they have to listen to you, right? We see it all the time where we just want to, to dig in. And what we think here, we think that God's not at work. We really, I mean, when you read that, like you say, well, how did this happen? How did they get so deep into this? Well, it says in verse 7, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them. He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. God was at work the whole time, and, and here's why. We can look at Romans 1, 24 through 25, and we, and we see exactly what happened. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, here's what happens you will idolize something in your life, and if you keep going back to that over and over and over again, eventually God will turn you over to it. He will turn you over to the sin that you desire so much. And so I want you to think right now, where are you at that maybe God has turned you over to it? Maybe it's lust. Maybe you're so deep in it, you don't know what to do. Like, you're itching to get out of here because your mind is only on that. Maybe it's money. Like, you could not imagine, like, maybe being here every Sunday because you might have to work so you can make more money. God will keep giving you more opportunities to work. He'll let you bury yourself in that because he will turn you over to it. And if we're not careful, we will be just like the Israelites. And really, we are. We just get so entrenched in our sin, enslaved to it. So has God gave you over to your sin? As he gave you over to your sins, if so, we need to repent. That's what the Israelites start to try to do. But here's the problem is true repentance will have true sorrow. 
True repentance will have true sorrow, and we don't see that with the Israelites. It says in verse 10 that the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We've sinned against you. It's just what they keep saying. We've forsaken our God and served Baals. This is what God says to them. Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Could you imagine being told by the God of the universe, I'm not going to save you. You're on your own. This next part's good. He says, go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in your distress. Your money can't save you. Sex can't save you. Power can't save you. None of it's going to save you but Jesus. That's it. And they didn't get that. They just go and they cry out to him, and they're not truly repentant. They're not. They're sorry about the consequences of their sin. Of course they are. And of course you would be, I am. I don't like the consequences of sin. If you like the consequences of sin, you are messed up, and you need more counseling than what I can provide you. All right? Like, for real. Like, no one likes the consequences of sin. We all want to be rescued out of it. But some, what the problem is, we want rescued out of it, so we can go back to doing our own thing. We don't want his rule. Verse 15, though, their attitude changes. It says there in verse 15 in chapter 10, and the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. They've put away their foreign gods. They're saying, God, listen, whatever discipline's coming, we'll take it. Just get us out of this mess. They're truly now not just repentant and sorrowful for the consequences that the sin had brought to them, but they want out of the mess that they're in. Have you ever been sorry for how sin has affected you, but not sorry for the actual action of the sin? I would say, yeah, we all have. Of course we have. But see, repentance is, a, is truly repenting and, and, and being sorry for what you've done, the idolatrous motives behind it, instead of idolizing and seeing that God is the ultimate thing to worship, we've idolized other things. And it's not just this behavioral change either, because here's the thing, we're really good at changing our behavior. All of you did it. All of you did it. At 1045, maybe if you got here early, you all changed your behavior. I bet ain't no, one of you cussed since you've been in this room. You cussed on your way here, though. Maybe someone cut you off. You're mad at your spouse, right? They didn't do what you wanted them to do. They didn't get ready quick enough. Maybe they messed up the coffee. I don't know. I don't know what they did. But your attitude with them was horrible. But all of a sudden, your attitude changed in here. See, we can change our behavior to fit circumstances for a moment. But as soon as we get back out those doors, all, game, all bets are off. Right? All bets are off. We're going to go back to doing what we want to do, being the Lord of our lives. And that's not repentance. Repentance is saying, I'm going to change my actions, and they're going to be directed at Jesus. They didn't want that. But God, finally, they, they do. I, I believe his, his spirit is probably at work in their hearts. And so they turn to him. And, and so now they need a deliverer. They need to be delivered. And so they don't get a judge just to rise up that God calls exactly the same. They go and they find their own judge. And we see that in chapter 11. It's a man named Jephthah. He is, this is what it says. It says he was a Gileadite. So he was in Israel. He was from Israel. He was an Israelite. He was a mighty warrior, but he was a son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. 
Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. All right. So this is what happens. They have pushed this dude out to a city that has nothing to do with them. He is an outcast. He comes from a broken home. His mom's a prostitute. Like, this is messed up. And what happens is he has to be tough. I think he's on his own. He is a tough dude. That's why they wanted him. That's why they wanted Jephthah. He lived a life of crime. It says that worthless fellows collected around him. He was like an organized crime boss. This was a bad dude. You did not jack with Jephthah unless you wanted some teeth knocked out of your mouth. Like, that's how he operated. He was not nice. And so they go to him because they need someone that's tough. Because if they were tough, they would have just had one of them do it. But they probably looked around like, Joe, that dude's weak. Yep, Bill, you can't punch or save your life. We need Jephthah. Like, let's go get Jephthah, the guy we kicked out years ago. And so they go, and they, and they, go and they talk, start talking to Jephthah, and he's not having it. He's like, you, what? You want me? To come rescue you and lead your people to overcome the Ammonites. You're out of your mind. You hate me. This is what it says in the text. He said, did you, in verse 7, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? If this ain't mirroring what they just went through with God, then I don't know what it is. Because what they say to God, come rescue us. And he's like, no, let your other gods save you. You wanted them? Let them save you. And now what's Jephthah saying? You didn't want me, but now you want me because you need me. And so he goes on. He tells them, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. He's saying, I will rule you, then I'll come. That's the problem that we don't get is that you can't just have Jesus without his rule. You cannot respect God or truly repent without acknowledging Jesus's right to rule. And you cannot have Jesus's rescue without his rule. So hear me what I'm saying to you. If you're sitting in this room right now and you think that you're a born again, saved Christian, you're going to go to heaven one day. Not if he ain't Lord of your life. It ain't happening. Okay. It's not happening. You will die and go to hell. Like I, I cannot put it any more bluntly to you, and I, and I want to be as clear as I can because of the fact that just the idea of there's guests here. Y'all flocked here because we're going to ooh and ah over babies, and I'm glad we did. But the most important thing is that you hear the gospel and know that Jesus is Lord. And if you, for one minute, like the Israelites, think that you can have the good gifts of God without his rule in your life, that you can go on and just live however you want, and then one day you're going to poof up to heaven, it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. He has to be your Lord. And that was the problem here. And so Israel, they're like, fine, you can rule over us. And so Jephthah, this dude's smooth. He knows how to work things. He's negotiated with them. So he goes right back into negotiation mode. He's going to will and deal. And so he goes to the king of the Ammonites in verse 12. And he does this. Basically, it's a lot to cover in these verses, 12 through 28. Uh, yeah, 12 through 28, he starts to break down the historical, theological, and then just power argument of why this land that the Ammonites have moved in on is their land. He's like, you, you are on the wrong land. God gave us this land. It was promised to us. We want it. It is ours. You have treaded onto our region, and you need to go. He's trying to solve this without conflict. But verse 28, 
But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah. He didn't want, any, he, he didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, I don't, I don't want it. And so I just want you to hear this, just a little side note, is that reasoning with non-believers doesn't really work, okay? Stop expecting people who aren't Christians to act like Christians and arguing with them and trying to reason to why they would until the Holy Spirit has came and changed them and, and moved in their lives and done something that is radically different than any of your reasoning can do. They're not going to act the way that you would expect them to act because they're not a believer. They're not. They're not going to act that way. And so Jephthah, is, he's like, okay, you're not going to do this? He knew what was next. He knew. He said, we're, we're going to go to war then. And this is what it says in verse 29. And this is where it gets really, really messy. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. Verse 30. This is bad. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So he goes on. He's victorious. It works out. He's messed up big time. He, he gets victory. It says in verse 32, And the Lord gave them into his hand. Then, verse 34, Then Jephthah came to his home in Mizpah, and behold, his daughter, his only kid, okay, came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She's pumped. Daddy's home. He's victorious. Thank you for saving all the Israelites. And he is distraught. She was his only child Besides her, he had no son nor daughter, and as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. This dude has messed up. Here's the thing. He didn't need to do this. He didn't need to. The Spirit of the Lord, who spoke everything into existence that came upon him, time and time again, Israel was victorious because a man anointed by the Spirit of God had led them to victory. They didn't need to do anything else. And he's like, I'm going to do my part. Your part doesn't matter. Your part's not necessary. It's the same for us. Everything that Jesus did on the cross, it's enough. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to try to do good works because they don't matter. They're just filthy rags anyway. Like, yeah, he's created good works for you to walk in to serve him for his glory, but it's not going to save you. You're saved apart from your good works. And Jephthah had victory promised to him apart from making this ridiculous vow. He promised to make a human sacrifice to God. A human sacrifice. The only father who ever needs to give of their son is the heavenly father who gave of his son Jesus Christ. That's the only sacrifice of a son that we would ever need. And we know that God did not want this because in Deuteronomy 12, 31, we can put this on the screen so you can see it. This is what it says. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in fire to their gods. This is detestable to God. He did not want this from Jephthah. He did not need to do this. There was no cause to why. Why would he do this? Because Jephthah had not grown up knowing about God. He had not been influenced by culture, which probably wouldn't have done him any good anyway because Israel was so messed up at the time. But 
The influence of the pagan culture of the world had messed with his head so much that he was desensitized to anything. And he thought he was going to treat the God like these lowercase g gods, that he had to offer something to keep him on his side to guarantee victory. He didn't need to do that. And what our problem is this, is we are more shaped by the world than we are the word. And what happens is we become desensitized as well, and we start to make barters and offers to God, and you think, well, I don't do that. Yeah, you do, because I do it. The hardest thing I've ever been through in my life has been for my wife and I with infertility. We struggled for years to have kids, eventually did in vitro, and then we've adopted, and that's beautiful that God has provided those means to having children through modern medical science and through adoption, through foster care. Like, praise God. But there has been times and time again that I've lost count, and it's embarrassing to say, but I've bartered with God. God, if I do this, you think you'd give us a kid? God, I'll stop doing this. You just give us a kid. Now I'm 37. Like, I don't know. There's no more bartering because I'd probably cry. But no, I'd be happy, but I don't want to get I like my sleep way too much. <laughs> um, our, we treat, that's how our minds work. Our minds aren't shaped enough by God's word as it should be. And it should be because when we read like in Romans 12 too, it says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, so when we barter, like when I bartered with God trying to make these deals, I wasn't accepting his good will. I didn't know what his good will was because I was in my head thinking, if I offer this, this will work out. See, because here's the deal. If you know me at all, I'm persistent. I am super persistent, and I can be pretty persuasive. I will get my way. And the reason why is because I'm spoiled as you can get. Like, literally, I am. I'm, I'm not even, my grandma and grandpa were in the last service, and I told them it was their fault. It was their fault. Our backyards met up to each other. So if I didn't get my way at home, I just went out the back door and walked over to grandma and grandpa's house. I got whatever I wanted. It was great growing up. Me and my brother had it made. Like, that's just the way it was. And so now, Emily's got to deal with me. Like, I will get what I want, and the problem is that when you have that mindset, and that's how you, the world has told you that you matter so much. You should get whatever you want. You're the center of your world. Follow your heart. No. No. Like, you don't get to do that, and you don't get to barter a God to get it because the world's told you that because your, your mind has been conformed to this world, but we got to let God renew it. And then when we do that, we realize this, that in Romans 12, 1, that the only sacrifice God requires is of us. It says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So you want to sacrifice something to God? You just lay down your life and say, my life for you, Jesus. I'm going to keep this vow. This is a vow worth keeping. This is a vow worth following through with. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm, going to, I'm trusting in you wholly. But Jephthah's vow, like, why would he keep it? And here's why. My life for me versus my life for you. Pastor Corey said that over and over and again for weeks. What he meant by that is like we are saying, I'd rather live my life for me than for you, God. And in this case, it was the same thing. He's looking at his daughter and he's saying, I'm going to live my life for me and not for you because I don't know what would happen if I break this vow. God might strike me dead, so I'd rather you die than chance me dying. All he needed to do was repent. He just needed to repent. God already thought this was detestable. He thought it was horrible. He just needed to pray and repent and say, God, I am sorry. I do not trust you. 
I did not put all my faith in you. I thought I needed to do something more to add to what you were already doing. Forgive me. God is gracious. But just like Adam and Eve, Jephthah did not believe that God had his best interest in mind. And sometimes we don't believe that either. We don't believe that God has our best interest in mind. We think that he wants us to suffer. He doesn't want us to suffer. He wants to bless us, not health, wealth, prosperity. I'm not going there with it by any means, but he wants you to have a good life that brings him glory, okay? And so we just need to trust God that he simply loves us and wants to bless us with his grace. But Jephthah did not believe that. He becomes jaded. He becomes so jaded because what we see is that in chapter 12, the rest of Israel is not happy. You would think they'd be happy. But the, the men of Ephraim, another tribe of Israel, they call, them, they call to arms. So they, they get ready for war. They're mad. And so they crossed over to Zephon to Jephthah. And this is what they said. Why did you cross over to fight the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over with fire. That is wrong dude to say that to. Jephthah will mess them up. Like, for real, this dude's no joke. And he just sacrificed his daughter, okay? Like, back in verse 11, it doesn't even say what he does because it's so detestable. It just says, after two months of her mourning his daughter, he did with her according to his vow that he made. The Bible doesn't even want to go into it. It's that messed up. So this guy is jaded. He's hardened. He is, he is hurting. And then you got these fools coming and saying, we'll burn your house down because you didn't include us on that war. We wanted as part of the spoils. We wanted part of the victory. And you can go and you can read chapter 12 up to verse 7, and it does not go well. 42,000 of the Ephraimites die by the, by the hand of the Gileadites being led by Jephthah. He wipes them out. He's like, I'm not playing your games. I've had enough. My life is a wreck. And here's why. Because he didn't think God was enough. And for us, we don't think Jesus is enough. But he is. Jesus is enough. He's everything you will ever need. You do not need to add to it. You don't need to make vows. You don't need to negotiate like the Israelites. You don't need to negotiate like Jephthah. You don't need to be mad because you weren't in on the victory. If you're in Christ, you're in on the victory. The victory is in heaven for eternity. You're in on it if you believe that Jesus is enough. You just need to trust him that Jesus has accomplished all that needs to be accomplished on the cross by rising again to life. And so today, we're getting ready to wrap this up. And here's what I want to call you to. If you're a believer, true self-sacrifice. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him, meaning like everything else doesn't matter. You're just following after Jesus wholeheartedly, and then put all your trust in him. If you're here and you're not a believer, if you're like, hey, I just came because there's my niece, my nephew, my granddaughter, whatever, getting dedicated. I, I wanted to be here for that. That's the only reason I'm here I want you to know that's not the only reason you're here. God does not operate on coincidences. He operates in sovereignty, and you're here so you could hear the gospel and possibly put your faith in him for the very first time. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never put your trust in him, never repented of your sins with no type of negotiation, today is the day to do that. When we respond to the gospel, if you're a believer, you're going to take communion. If you're not a believer, I go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him, save me. I'm putting away all my idols. I'm not negotiating. I have nothing in my hands. I'm just giving my life to you. Will you please save me from my sins and the consequences of them? You just pray that. If you pray that today, then let one of us know. Anyone that's been on stage, anyone, probably anyone in this room, you can just tell. We, we just want to know so we can walk with you and see you grow in your faith. So I'm going to pray.
And then we're going to respond by taking communion. I'm going to read some scripture about communion. And then you just respond however God's moving in your life. Let me pray. God, we are no different than Israel. We have probably got 70 false gods in our lives. We're turning and chasing after all of them. We keep trying to fulfill things in our life by finding a new idol and a new identity and things that don't matter. And we're passing up being fulfilled in you and having our identity in you. So please forgive us. Help us to truly not just say those words, but God, please forgive us. Please help us to turn away from what we have deemed important that is not. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you save them. That your Holy Spirit moves just right now in concert with your word. And just, God, that just draws their heart, Lord, softens it and just draws them into a relationship with you because the gospel is your power to save, Lord. And so we know that you can and we ask that you will. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.